We are starting a new three-part sermon series uh, today in the book of Jonah, and we're kind of going to go through Jonah and figure out some ways that uh, God has unexpected kindness. It kind of shows up in some weird ways and some weird places in the story of Jonah. And, you know, you've probably heard this story if you grew up in church and, you know, went to Sunday school or VBSs, and so you know, well, Jonah, that's the guy who got swallowed by a whale, right? But the story actually has a whole lot more to do than just a whale. In fact, the whale is an incredibly minor character, as we're going to find out today, and it's not that big of a deal. But this story is so important because a lot of us have an image of God that isn't correct. We have an image of God that makes us think he is, uh, he's just really angry and vindictive, and he's just out to get us, or he's just kind of waiting to, to, you know, to punish you or to teach you a lesson. He's just, he's just waiting for you to come back. And maybe you're just not sure. It's like, does God really have time for me? Does he really forgive me? Does he, you know, can he forgive me? I've done some things. Maybe he knows about that, but I don't know what he's going to do about it. And what we learned from Jonah throughout his story is that the picture of God that a lot of us have isn't, just isn't quite right. God actually has a lot more uh, mercy and forgiveness than sometimes we give him credit for. And sometimes we've just got this this bad image of God in our, in our heads. So over these next three weeks, as we look at Jonah, we're going to be asking some really important questions that impact our relationship with God, how we view him and how we uh, see him. So the book of Jonah opens up like this. So if you, want, if you want to try to get there in your Bibles, go ahead or head there in your device. Jonah is a minor prophet. So he's going to be towards the very end of your Old Testament. He's a short little book. So it's one of those, if you start thumbing through real quick, you'll just, if, if a page is stuck together, you'll miss it. You're like, where did Jonah go? So if you want to try to find Jonah, but we're going to start right in chapter one, right with the first verse. And here's, here's what we read, just the first few verses. It says, the word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it, because its wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. He went down to Joppa, where he found a ship bound for that port. After paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. So I, I brought a couple maps just to kind of help us get our bearings a little bit about where we are, where we're going. So you're looking at Israel right here in the Middle East. And so Jonah's hometown, we learn about this from the book of 2 Kings, it's a little bit more north of Joppa. So there's a good chance that's where he is when the word of the Lord comes to him. And he decides to head south to the port city of Joppa. That's roughly a 50-mile hike, all right, to get there. It's also possible he could have been in Jerusalem, which is just kind of the, uh, the southeast edge of that map. So he's in one of those two places. And he makes his way uh, to Joppa, which is a port city, because he needs a boat. Now, let me show you this next map. So uh, this is, these are his two options. If he were to go to Nineveh, Nineveh is in modern-day Iraq, kind of around the Tigris River, somewhere in that neighborhood. It's not the capital of the nation of Assyria at that time, but it was a major city. That's roughly a 550-mile hike or so, depending on how exactly he would have traveled it, we're not exactly sure. But uh, Tarshish, on the other hand, is the most western city on their map. Like, that is how big their world map was, and Tarshish was at the edge of it. So, 
we think it's there kind of in southern Spain, the Strait of Gibraltar. It's also possible it's the very southern tip of Italy. It could also be northeast Africa, but it's the furthest their map goes. And depending on how you sail, it, it's around a 2,500-mile trip. So, Jonah, you can walk roughly 550 miles to Nineveh, or you can sail about 2,500 miles. And he elects to sail and get as far away as, as he can go. And, you know, Tarshish, faraway place, westernmost place you could go. We also learn in Second Chronicles, Tarshish is a place of wealth. Because King Solomon, he sends some, uh, a fleet of ships there, and they come back with gold and silver and all kinds of riches. And so Tarshish is this mysterious vacation spot. It's this place where you can kick your feet up and find some adventure. It's like no one's quite sure. It's so far away. People don't usually go to Tarshish and come back. They go and they stay. So it's like, man, what could, what could happen in Tarshish? All kinds of things. Possibilities abound. But the story makes it clear that Jonah picks Tarshish because he can flee from the Lord. He can get away from God's presence. And I don't know how, like, I don't know how seriously Jonah believed that because later in the book, it, it sort of seems like he knows he can't get away from God, but maybe he's just hoping, he's just kind of wondering, well, maybe if I get to Tarshish, God will leave me alone there. Or if nothing else, because the prophet Isaiah says that Tarshish is one of the places God hasn't revealed his presence yet. So maybe he's just thinking, well, I'll get there and nobody else will know who God is. They won't know I'm a prophet. They won't ask any questions. They're not going to ask me to, you know, give any prayers or speak any special words or teach any classes or do any weddings or funerals. I can just lay low, get away from my calling, and just relax. So he picks Tarshish. And the reason he wants to try to hide from God's presence is because when you're in God's presence, you get exposed pretty fast. It's, it's hard to hide who you really are and what you're really about when you're in the presence of the Lord. And, you know, the, the reality of that, we, we kind of reflected ourselves because we don't, we don't like to find out that we're wrong. We just, we just, we hate to find out that we made a mistake or we messed up. And when you're in God's presence, that all just comes out. It's just na a natural byproduct of, of being face-to-face -face with God as you realize how far you've fallen from his expectations and how far away your character is. And that's kind of reflected by a lot of us. We, we sort of try to insulate ourselves from other opinions. We try to, you know, whether it's we just mute people on Facebook or we say, well, I don't like them, so let's cancel them. That way I don't have to hear that. Or, I mean, even today we kind of argue over, well, what even is free speech? A little bit of that is, I don't want to hear that I'm wrong, so let's just get all the other opinions out of the way so I don't have to face that fact. I don't want to, I don't want to hear it. I don't want any other ideas. I just want to live in my little bubble. And so Jonah thinks, well, if I can get to Tarshish, I can live in my bubble, I can, I can get away from God, I don't have to hear it anymore. And a lot of us have tried to do this ourselves. You know, back when I was in uh, high school, I worked on the theater tech crew, and every winter at our high school, we put on these huge, you know, theater musical productions. And so every year, I would hear our, our director, Mr. Nedler, tell us, hey, if you can see the audience, the audience can see you, which meant when, you go, when, you, when you're off stage and you go backstage, if you can peek out between a curtain or a stage prop and you can see the audience, 
They can, they can see you, so you need to, like, not get caught up in, wow, I want to watch this. You, no, you've got to get away because you're going to distract the audience. And some of us kind of act like that with God. It's like, well, if, 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 if I don't see God, maybe he won't see me. Maybe if I just, you know, get away from all that. And so, you know, we, we kind of take that same approach. And so maybe you want to hide from God for a little bit, so you avoid church, you avoid reading your Bible, you avoid certain people and certain friends because they're going to ask you, hey, where were you on Sunday? They'll say, yeah, we'll just not worry about them. And if you have to, you flee. Like, well, I'll just get out of the Bible belt. Let me just get out. Let me go to the East Coast. Let me go to the West Coast. Let me get as far away as I can from, from some of the staples of Christianity. I'll, I'll get away from my Christian friends. And you think, ah, Tarshish, I've made it. Finally, I'm safe. I can get away from the Lord. But you can also avoid God with your busyness, too. You can keep up appearances as if you're a Christian and never interact with God. You can fill up your life with, with all sorts of church activities and programs and, and, believe it or not, devotionals and reading the Bible and staying super busy and thinking, well, if I'm just busy enough, God won't have time to get my attention. God won't have time to talk to me. If, if I don't see God, maybe he won't see me, and he'll leave me alone, and I won't have to hear about it. And you say, ah, now I'm in Tarshish. I can relax. I can kick my feet up. Don't have to hear all that other stuff. I'm good. I'm good. And so for some reason, Jonah wants to get as far away from Nineveh as possible because he absolutely does not want to preach there. We'll learn more about that in the coming weeks. So Jonah, he gets on this boat and he heads out on his way. And then here's where the story goes next. Verse 4, then the Lord sent a great wind on the sea, and such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up. All the sailors were afraid, and each cried out to his own god, and they threw the cargo into the sea to lighten the ship. But Jonah had gone below deck, where he lay down and fell into a deep sleep. Now, how you, how you fall asleep in a ship in that kind of storm, I don't know, but he does it. The captain went to him and said, how can you sleep? Get up and call on your God. Maybe he will take notice of us so that we will not perish. In other words, the storm is so bad. We, we don't care who the God is. We need all of them. Every, everyone, call your gods. Do whatever you got to do. Just if anybody can stop this storm, that, it's just so bad. We're terrified. Seasoned sailors are terrified. And what does Jonah do? Nothing doesn't pray, doesn't call on his God. He's a prophet. That's his job. He doesn't do it. And so maybe when you, you know, maybe when you picked up a bulletin this morning or, or saw a social media post and saw that the title of this sermon is, Does God See You? You go, well, well yeah, obviously. Like, that's a, that's a pretty easy answer. And even these sailors are like, well, maybe God will notice us. But the truth of the story is, God knows exactly what's going on. We get the advantage of knowing that because the story tells us, the narrator says, then the Lord sent a storm. God knows where the boat is. He knows Jonah's running off. No one's fooled here. And so he sends a storm to try to stop what's going on. So the story continues. Then the sailors said to each other, come, let us cast lots to find out who is responsible for this calamity. They cast lots, and the lots fell on Jonah. So they asked him, Tell us, who is responsible for making all this trouble for us? 
What kind of work do you do? Oh, there's the question. Where do you come from? What is your country? From what people are you? So Jonah answered, I'm a Hebrew, and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. This terrified them. And they asked, what have you done? And the narrator kindly adds for us, they knew he was running away from the Lord because he had already told them so. The sea was getting rougher and rougher, so they asked him, what, what, what should we do to you to make the sea calm down for us? You're in trouble. Your God's mad. What, what do we do? Well, pick me up and throw me into the sea, he replied, a logical conclusion, and it will become calm. I know that it is my fault this great storm has come upon you. Instead, the men did their best to row back to land, but they could not, for the sea grew even wilder than before. Then they cried out to the Lord, Please, Lord, do not let us die for taking this man's life. Do not hold us accountable for killing an innocent man for you. Lord, you have done as you please. Then they took Jonah and threw him overboard, and the raging sea grew calm. At this, the men greatly feared the Lord, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows to him. So here's what's really ironic about this story. Uh, the sailors, who are not Israelites, they're Gentiles, they, they don't worship the Lord Yahweh. They're actually better than Jonah in the story. You notice what Jonah does? He's trying to get out of his calling. So what, what should a prophet do on that boat? He should be the one praying. He could help throw some cargo overboard. He could be seeking the Lord's will. God, what, what should we do in this moment? What's going to happen? He does none of it. Instead, he goes below deck, and he falls asleep, and even when they wake him up, he still doesn't call to the Lord, doesn't pray, and even when they start to cast lots, he doesn't stop them and say, let me save you guys the trouble. Let me just tell you what happened. None of that. He's trying to get away from his very own calling as a prophet. He's not just trying to hide by getting all the way to Tarshish. He's trying to hide who he is and his responsibility and his identity. He's trying to hide all of it. And what's funny to me is just how, how nice these guys are. Like when Jonah says, all right, you need to throw me overboard. Instead, they're like, well, maybe we can row back to it. I mean, they exhaust all possible options before they conclude, okay, we have to throw. And even then they're like, God, please forgive us. We're so sorry. You're the one who caused this storm. Please don't hold it against us. They don't, want, they don't want Yahweh to show up later and be like, hey, you're the guys who threw my prophet overboard. Shouldn't have done that. Shouldn't have messed with me. They're like, we're so sorry. They're, they're better than Jonah. Jonah's kind of a bad guy in this story. And so the sailors do what they're supposed to do. And then it's really, this is, this is just something we miss because we're reading an English translation of Hebrew. When it says they greatly feared the Lord, it literally says they feared the fear of the Lord. Like they feared fear. Okay. And what that means is it's not that they're just like terrified. It means they're in incredible awe of God. They can't believe that there's a God that could cause this storm and then immediately stop it. Like, wow. This, this God's different. The other gods can't do that, but this God can. And they're pretty amazed. And so they, they make vows. And I don't know if that means they left all their other gods. It could just be that they added, added Yahweh to the list of the gods they worshipped. It could be that just every year on the day of that storm, they make another sacrifice and they remember how God rescued them and their ship on that day. And then also remember this wayward prophet Jonah and wonder, well, I wonder what happened to that guy. 
So they go ahead and they, they throw him overboard. And then the next thing that happens in verse 17, now the Lord provided a huge fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. And here's what's funny about this story, is God sends a storm, and then he sends a big fish, and before we're done over the next couple of weeks, you're going to learn he's going to send some other things to try to help Jonah along the way. But some of you, you get to this point in the story, and you go, okay, really? Like, is there really a fish big enough to swallow a guy whole? Come on. Come on. Well, I just got to tell you, uh, is it possible? Eh, maybe. There's some stories that some divers and sailors have been swallowed whole by certain kinds of fish, and some of those have been debunked, and some of those people are like, I'm not sure if that really happened or not. We can't really tell. There's marine biologists who have just gone down the list of all the fish you could have found in the Mediterranean Ocean where, where Jonah was, and they say, well, a sperm whale is big enough. It's got a big enough mouth, mouth big enough esophagus. He, he, Jonah could have been sold by that kind of whale. It's possible. There was one diver I found. I was just, I was just trying to look this up. There was one diver who... Uh, swam through a school of fish at just the moment a whale was coming by for lunch, and he got half swallowed. So there's this picture of just his legs sticking out of this whale as it comes over the surface of the ocean, and then it immediately spits him out because it realizes You're, something's not right here and just spits him out. So, yeah, I don't know. But if you've been keeping track with the Bible till now, is it really hard to believe God could have called just one fish at this point in time, just appointed one fish to be big enough to swallow Jonah. Could be. I don't know. Maybe, there, maybe there's a whale and everyone makes fun of him. You're so, you're so big, whale. Get, what's your deal? And it's like, it's mostly water weight. I'm sorry. I, I hit the treadmill three times a week. I don't know what to do. And then someday God's like, hey, whale, I've got a prophet I need you to swallow. And he's like, that's why I'm so big. This is wonderful. So what's funny to me is how we get stuck on this because in the story, the Hebrew author picks the most vague words to describe an animal. He picks big and another word that means sea creature or mammal. So it's like he's not very specific about it because the whale's not actually all that big of a deal in the story. It's actually, as we get later on, you're going to hear, there's actually things harder to believe, in my opinion, than a whale swallowing Jonah whole. But he gets, he gets swallowed whole. But the story's not about, well, can a whale swallow a manhole? Is that possible? The story's about this wayward prophet. The story is about what is God going to do when we run away, when we try to hide, when we try to give up on our calling and abandon what he's told us to do? What will he do then? You see, the whale, the whale serves as a form of punishment, yes, but the whale is also a way to save Jonah and correct him. Notice God does not let Jonah stay out in that stormy water for very long. It immediately grows calm. He also doesn't let Jonah suffer. He doesn't say, well, let's see how long you can, you can tread water, Jonah. It's like, nope, immediately. There's a big fish, swallows him up, so now he doesn't have to worry. He's good. And for three days, he's going to have to stay in that, that fish and learn, and learn his lessons a little bit. So does God see you? Well, yeah, of course he does. It's probably not a surprise for you. But maybe the more important thing to, to wonder about is what does it mean that God sees you? Like, is he, I don't know, is he, is he, 
is he just kind of watching you over your shoulder, wondering, what, are you going to mess up? What are you doing? What are you doing there? Is that, is that what it means? Like, what does it mean that he sees you? You know, I have to confess to you that sometimes um, I avoid people in stores. I hate to say it, but sometimes I go into Lowe's or Kroger, and I'm just running in real quick to get, like, just one thing. And, you know, a few hours over, I'll see one of you. And you won't, you haven't seen me yet. And I'll be like, I just, I'm just kind of trying to run in and run out. I don't really want to get stuck in a conversation right now. Uh, I'll just... I'll just, I'll just stay over here. And they haven't seen me yet. I'll just run in real quick. I'll just avoid a couple aisles. I'll just maneuver around and get in and get out. They'll never see me. It'll be fine. And see, you didn't know until just now when I told you. And even then you're like, did he see me, I wonder? You never know. But sometimes, sometimes I do that. It's like, well, is, is that what God's like? Does he see you? And just like, eh, whatever. They haven't seen me. It's fine. And see, what we learned from Jonah is how God actually sees us and what he does when he sees us. And this is what's so helpful about Jesus, because Jesus helps to kind of clarify and bring into better focus our picture of God. And in the Gospels, one of the most common acts Jesus does is he sees people, and then he has compassion for them. And that helps us understand what God does when he sees us. It's not that he just sees you like, meh, whatever, or he sees you and he's suddenly angry with you and, and wants to teach you a lesson. It's he sees you, and he acts with compassion, and he does something. And in Jonah's case, here's what he does. He sees with compassion, and then God acts to try to stop you from throwing your life away. That's what he tries to do. He sees you, he has compassion, and he wants to make sure you don't make a decision that's going to ruin your whole life. He wants to try to protect you. And in Jonah's case, he, he provides an intervention. The intervention is a storm and a, and a big fish. Jonah, don't you do this. I was reading uh, a number of books this week studying, and one of, one of the commentaries that I read, just I liked how he said it. Here, here's what he said. He said, Yahweh's wrath is a reflex of his passionate love that wants more for us than we want for ourselves. Our participation in Yahweh's work is crucial to our spiritual development and our joy. When we, when we refuse his calling for lesser pursuits, Yahweh smolders at the short-sightedness, selfishness, and shallowness we have succumbed to in our sin. He burns at the prospect of our forfeiting participation in his joy because we prefer the comfort and familiarity of our old theological constructs and the less demanding life of spiritual mediocrity. God wants to stop Jonah because Jonah is about to throw away his life and his calling. Jonah is about to trade in joy and calling and mission and purpose for the beach. He's about to trade the opportunity to have an immediate and eternal impact on one of the great cities of his day in Nineveh. He's going to trade that to sit on the beach in Tarshish and and sip a cool drink with an umbrella in it. That's what he wants to do. And God's thinking, Jonah, this is a horrible decision. What? You're going to ruin your life, man. What are you doing? You can't run from your calling. And so he tries to stop him. And a lot of times, you know, we think about 
judgment and salvation, like they're just, they're just two options. Like you can either be judged, you can be saved. But a lot of times what God does is he saves us through the judgment. He saves us by trying to teach us a lesson. He's trying to move us from where we are to where he knows we should be, where he would like for us to go. You know, the book of Proverbs, I think, says it best. This is my child. Don't make light of the Lord's discipline and don't give up when he corrects you. For the Lord disciplines those he loves and he punishes each one he accepts as a child. You see, bad things can happen to us for a number of ways, and we don't always know the reason. Sometimes bad things happen just because bad things happen. They just happen indiscriminately. You didn't do anything wrong. It happened. Sometimes bad things happen because you made a boneheaded decision, and now you're suffering the consequences of your decision. But sometimes bad things happen to us because it's God's intervention. It's a storm, and it's a great fish. It's God's way to try to correct you and change your course because you're going down a bad road, a destructive road. And he's trying to do everything he can to get your attention and say, stop, don't, don't go any further. You're going to throw your life away. Don't do this. And so he does things to get our attention or to try to change our course. And maybe some of you, when you look back through your life, you can think of moments where with a little bit of perspective, you can go, huh, I think God was trying to tell me something. Like, I think he was trying to stop me from, from continuing, because then I went on, I didn't listen to this person, I ignored that, I just blew through all the caution signs and the warning lights, and I regret that decision. And so in God's compassion, he is trying to rescue us. So what, does, what do we do when God does that? What does Jonah do? Well, he's got, he's got three days in the belly of a fish. Not great. And all of chapter 2 is a prayer where Jonah just, he prays to the Lord. And if you read through this, what you'll notice is Jonah uses a lot of language from the Psalms. Little, like, so, and so much so that it's hard for us to, like, say, oh, he's quoting Psalm, you know, whatever here and Psalm whatever there. He's just pulling phrases and language and words and stanzas from the Psalms all over the place. He's just using God's prayer book to help him word something to the Lord. But what he does through this prayer is he humbles himself. He realizes, you're right, God. I'm wrong. I was mistaken. I shouldn't try to run away from you. You created everything. You own everything. I can't, I can't get away. You're right. Should have listened. Should have gone to Nineveh. And in that it takes that belly of a, of a great fish for him to humble himself and accept God's way instead. And so for us, when God tries to stop you and correct you, what are you going to do? Are you going to humble yourself and admit, you know, you know what, God, I'm not right. I'm going the wrong direction. I've got a bad opinion on this. I've, I've tried to put you in a box that doesn't quite fit. Is that going to be your approach, or is your approach going to be to double down and say, nope, I'm right, I know I'm right, you know, I, I, I'm going to lean on my wisdom, my understanding, I, double it down here, God. And so Jonah has this option, he chooses to humble himself. And sometimes when you've got to humble yourself, the best way is just to use the words of the Bible. Don't have to worry about crafting your own prayer, just, just go to the Psalms, find some words, find some language to help you voice 
what you're experiencing. Well, here's how chapter 2 ends, verse 10. And the Lord commanded the fish, and it vomited Jonah onto dry land. Gross, but effective. And so now Jonah has this decision to make. All right, Jonah, you're back on dry land. What are you going to do? Are you going to walk back to Nineveh, or are you going to go run and hide again? And after you've humbled yourself, you get the same option. Are you actually going to course correct, or are you just going to keep doing, like, hey, thanks for saving me, God, but joke's on you. I'm going to keep doing what I'm doing. You know, it's kind of like, uh, oh, you start to kind of make a deal with God. You kind of have, like, your, uh, your in-the-trenches prayer. We're like, God, if you just come through and you just do this for me, I promise then I'll, then I'll go to church, or then I'll start to serve, or then I'll do this, and then God saves you, and you're like, heh, sucker, I'm not doing that, and you just keep doing what you were doing. And you have a choice to make in that. Because the whole time through this story, Jonah's trying to run away from his calling as a prophet. And God's given you a calling too. He's called you to do something, to be a certain someone, to live like his, like his son, don't try to throw that away. Don't try to run away from that. Don't try to escape it. Not because God is controlling, but because God actually knows what is the best for you. And he doesn't want you to ruin your life. He's really actually trying to help you out. Paul writes in Romans, for God's gifts and his call can never be withdrawn. So what are you going to do when God disciplines you? Are you going to allow that discipline to help you grow up, help you mature in Christ? Or are you going to reject it, scream, throw a fit? I mean, you know, if you've got kids, if you've raised kids, you know how that goes. You, you try to teach them, no, this is not how we act. We act this other way instead. And sometimes they'll, okay, mom, okay, dad, I get it. And other times they'll, they'll just throw a huge fit and they'll go slam their door like, I don't want to hear it. What's going to be your response to God's discipline in your life? How he leads you? Because the truth is, God, he absolutely sees you. He knows exactly where you are. He knows exactly what's going on in your heart and in your head. He knows all the twists and turns of your life. He already knows. And what he's trying to do is he's trying to help guide you and lead you. And he knows the best outcome for your life. And he's just trying to discipline you along the way. In fact, he already did that. Except he didn't send a storm and a, and a fish. Instead, he just sent his son. Because when we look at Jonah's life, the storm and the fish, it kind of seems like punishment. And so Jesus sent his son. And what's so tough about the message of Jesus is, in order to accept Jesus' gift of salvation, you also have to admit that you're wrong. You have to admit that you've sinned. You have to admit that you've made a mistake. And there's people all throughout the Bible and the Gospels especially who don't like Jesus because he tells them they're not doing it right. He tells them how far they've fallen, and instead of acting in humility and surrendering their lives to Jesus, they just double down. That's what the Pharisees do. They just double down. Well, Jesus can't be from God. We have to be the ones who are right. And so whatever it is in your life, a storm, a fish, a circumstance, God's already sent you his son as a means to rescue you from your situation from your position of, of sin and death and help you get into eternal life, help you find your calling and your purpose. So it's your choice.
What are you going to accept? Because God has a provision for you. For Jonah, it was the whale to get him back to dry land. For us, it's, it's Jesus. Jesus was God's way of getting us out of the ocean and onto dry land. And now it's, all right, where are you going to go? God's got a calling. God's got a mission over here. Or yeah, you can go back over there. The choice is yours. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for the gift of your son, Jesus. And I'm thankful that you're a God that has compassion towards us. And when you see us, you try to do everything in your power to rescue us. You try to discipline us. You you try to prevent us from throwing our life away. And God, there will be moments where we we don't see it at the time, we don't understand it. But I just pray for your Holy Spirit, you would give us the insight to recognize that what you're doing is is your attempt to teach us, to guide us, to lead us. So Lord, I pray that all of us would have a spirit of humility to accept and embrace your discipline and to learn and grow from it. And I pray, God, that when you give us that opportunity to come back to dry land, that you would help us to choose to go the right path, to choose to follow you and listen to your your commands and the mission that you're calling us on. Father, we love you, and it's in your name I pray. Amen.